Doug Hamlet's Free Minds Connected with hosts Dave Steele and Adam Rubin. working dogs for their continued support. Isaac and Katie have kindly donated another pup to be sold at this year's Ray White Livestock Rockhampton working dog sale on the 23rd of April. If you're looking for a quality pup started or going dog, shoot Isaac a message or Google wilderness working dogs. Thanks Isaac and Katie for your support. The team at Three Minds Connected would also like to thank Gary and Nettie Went, organisers of the Ray White Livestock Rockhampton Working Dog Sale and Trial. Gary and Nettie have kindly made a donation to the podcast. All proceeds from this donation will go towards bringing you more episodes and some merchandise that'll be for sale later in the year. Thank you, Gary and Nettie, for your donation and jumping on board to become part of the podcast sponsors. Um, g'day everyone, it's uh, Sean and Dave here from Stock Dog Handler Stream Minds Connected and we're sitting... Oh, sorry. And Adam, sorry. <laughs> it's it's going to be a bit of a joke for a while, but um, so season two, what, episode five, and um, we've got Sean O'Hare sitting over in Norway, half asleep, looks like he's been drinking rum all night, and um, we've we got Paddy Fanning over in Canada doing dog clinics and we're just going to have a bloody talk to Paddy here and um, he's on his way home from Canada after doing dog clinics over there. So, um, g'day boys, how you going? Go ahead, Sean. <laughs> g'day, g'day Dave and Adam, how are you? Good mate. Good, thanks. Going good. Sort of predators are they getting coming down out of the mountains, Paddy? I'd say it probably just coyotes and stuff. But 
for that again, they could have wolves and they could have bears and then to be odd cougar and that as well around. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I say it's the coyotes are doing the harm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Sean, what's it like over in your neck of the woods at the moment, mate? A bit cold over there still, or what's it going? <clears throat> mate, it's been pretty pretty mild. Um, but yeah, just yesterday the, the cold started to come in and bite us, so we, we're at zero degrees today. Um, first cold day of the of the autumn. <laughs> so it's only going to go one way from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. That's it. Do you want to get, you got something you want to ask, mate? No, no, I'm all good. Right, yeah. right, we'll, we'll get into it. Um, Paddy, what we're sort of, um, you know, the format, you've listened to a few episodes anyway, but yeah, like we're probably just pretty keen to find out about the early days of Paddy Fatty and childhood and what your parents did and that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, well, to tell you the truth, uh, we, my dad was always a farmer, but it was more so a tillage, and we didn't have cows or sheep or anything there for a long time. But uh, I went to Canada when I was 19, I was a little bit strong on the beer, and I got in a bit of trouble at home. I said, go and hike in Canada for a while. And so I was going to go over, go up the Yellowknife, go mining, because my neighbour in Ireland made a heap of money doing that years before. And so that was my plan, but I didn't anyway. But I spent about two years in Canada, and when I came home, uh, shortly after that I decided to give up beer and then I started working with my dad for a while on the farm and by that time he had a lot of sheep and so that, that's how I got into training dogs it was a bit tricky to work with you know I wasn't, wasn't much of a team player and uh, so the dogs they picked up the black very quick there and got going just doing regular work and then that just transferred into trial and, and uh, tell you what I do like about the dog trial though is it makes you train out your dogs very well you know it makes them if you get them working properly to be able to win in trials, that doesn't make them any less of a work dog, but uh, they do need to work right. And so when I got into trials, that's when I started to learn a lot about training. We were, we were t- talking about that last night. Same with the horses, you know, the, the fatuities, um I don't know if you have fatuities with your, with your dogs, but they're basically like um, for, for the, young, the young dogs or the young horses coming through. Um, and, um, you know, they compete at them against all the same dogs the same age. Uh, but, yeah, it, it makes you commit to it and get that dog or that horse trained. Whereas if you didn't have that goal, well, you know, maybe it would drag on for a long time and you never really finish the job properly. Yeah, well, that, that's what happens to me. I'm very lazy when it comes to training. Like, I like training and all, but... Yeah, I don't push myself too hard. And what happens is then you go to a trial and you screw up a few things and then you go home and you fix them. And it's the same when I go to the mountain. Maybe I haven't got my stop working right or a few little things not working right. And then on the mountain, it's a different kind of consequence. It might make an extra hour or two of work for me. So, you know, when you're doing unnecessary work, you're saying to yourself, you know, I need to clean up my act. And so then you go home and train. And then likewise, our nurseries will start now, probably like the futurities, it's the young dogs. And so I love the nurseries because they're never too far away. Way. So you drive to one on Sunday, maybe your dog is a bit half trained or whatever, and you see where you screw up, and then you go home and you start to fix that during the week. Then you go back next week, maybe you still have to keep working on it. But every week you can, uh, it's like benchmarking. You're doing a little test every Sunday and see how your training is going. So that's why I like nurseries; make you work a bit. Yeah. Once you get out on the, you can't hide anything. Your dog at all once you're out there in, in the competition arena, so it, it shows up all the all the holes. It's funny you say, like, you don't push yourself that hard training off. Actually, I don't not enjoy training dogs, 
but I more enjoy watching dogs work. You know, like I've taken a young dog and watching the dog more so than going, okay, I'm going to, to um, you know, really train you and, and, and sharpen you up. I find myself just watching, watching the dog. That's how I see it too, Adam. Like, you've also got to see, you know, what dog have you got? Can he take that extra training and all? So you're there, you're there feeling him, you're giving his head a bit, you know, maybe you're letting him work a bit then during the week and you're saying, I won't screw you down too tight there. I have a dog that I have a sort of a bad stop on it, but it's a deliberate thing because I was afraid he might start getting too careful. So I let his stop slip. And the way I look at it is, we can reel that back up later, you know. We can do that, like, you know, next month. Once once I'm happy that he's free about walking in and all, then we can tighten up on that. So, it's like you said there, sometimes you can't go off and do a heap work on him because it's just not the right time. And we were speaking about it just, just this morning or yesterday, Robo and I, about, you know, the, be- the beauty of having good practical work to let the stock teach your dog as well. You know, like Adam had a seven or eight month old bitch on some weaning cattle and the cattle were teaching the dog position and a bit of caution and a little bit of respect for the stock. And, you know, there was no negativity towards him at all because the stock were teaching the dog, not him. So for the age of the, for the young dog and that, it was, you know, a perfect scenario. And that's, that's a, I guess, what you were getting into as well, Adam, with that you like to see what the dog's got, you know, in it. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, I, I do. But yeah, I just, I'm also just enjoy because you, you know you breed the dog and you put genetics into it that that you want to, and then you want to um, sit back and watch those 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 genetics come out, or if it's worked, or what the dog has, or what it doesn't. But um, I just enjoy watching them young dogs, you know, training what they've got. Yeah, something you said there. Something that rang a bell with me there. Um, the, the, so years ago, when me and my dad had sheep, like the, when I came back from Canada, he probably had a thousand. He let that up to eighteen hundred jaws. So you know yourself, that could be three and a half probably in the summer. So there's lots of sheep. So that makes dogs fast. Like it, it trains them quick. But um, if you don't have that work, which I don't have that work now, uh, so now it's it's I'm like a hobby trainer now. So I have to try and. Create that scenario where I can let my dogs work or give them their head or give them a bit of freedom. But I haven't got the work to break them out, and especially if they're kind of harder hooves where they, you know, they want lots of work. Um, I'll have to get more creative with my training. And so I found that good. So I only, that time before, I was only training dogs maybe for three years, and we got some good results, like we've treated them in the international and all. But um, what I find now is I don't have to work. So you see me, I put up videos on the mountain itself. So I'm going up there. Yeah, I have a few sheep up there, but really, it's not a profitable exercise farming-wise. I really just put them up there so that I can use it to train dogs and just try and set up situations to kind of give them a bit of that ordinary one. They don't need to have it for trial. You can make a trial dog without that, but I want a nice, well-rounded dog, really, you know, for myself. Yeah, well, you just, uh, <clears throat> you know, you just, you, you find a way for the situation you're in. Like, there's, there's no excuse to yeah. say, oh, well, I don't have, I don't have massive amount of farm work, so, you know, I can't train my dogs now. Well, you, you just innovate and you just make the best of your situation and you find a different way to do it. Um, Sean was saying this, the same thing about he's got some pups there and and he feels like a bit of, you know, cattle work and a bigger mob of cattle could, could do them a lot of good, but he doesn't have that, so he'll find another way. 
get that. Well, and, and uh, I've been in the clinics with Sean, and uh, so we, we're doing these clinics and all, and often you come across something in a clinic, some little trick or a game or some way to, to set up a situation that, that I never did before. And um, and so that's the great thing about clinics and talking like this, like this, this podcast or whatever, all these kind of things. Uh, you know, I talk a lot to other trainers and, and I go to some of them for help even. And so I get little bits of tips and tricks that I can add on to my own thing or, you know, another way of setting something up, using my facilities better, squeezing more out of it is the way I like to put it, you know, squeezing more out of my training. So, but to Sean and I, oh no, actually, I don't think Sean was at this clinic in Norway where I found a way to set up a pen that we could put sheep in but still the dog could get them out of it without us having to open a gate or anything. And, you know, every clinic you go to you find some new little trick because you've got to deal with the sheep that you have. Uh, uh, so that, that's kind of been invaluable. But that's what I'd say, especially in Australia where you're kind of in isolation there, you're a big distance from people. I think this podcast thing is a, is a real good idea just for sharing ideas or sparking new ideas. Like. I think, Paddy, um, like you guys were just saying just then about um, getting more out of your stock, more out of your training program because you haven't really got that lot of practical work. I mean, I've um, probably been exposed to that more larger scale practical side of working dogs now for a fair while, but I've also seen situations with other handlers where they haven't used those practical situations to their advantage and um, they've sort of held their dog back from becoming the dog that it could possibly be through training on it, but then not not executing it properly, properly, properly out in the paddock in a work, in a real work situation. Yeah, well then. You have to remember too, trainers are going to be, it's like us, we're all a bit different. So some people are control freaks. I'm here in the airport going for a plane. You know, I could miss it because I'm a little bit loose with that kind of thing. Um, and I don't panic. And sometimes I'm late getting to a plane and I just picture myself sitting in the seat. Even though I'm saying, I'm going to miss this fucking plane. But I just picture myself sitting in the seat. One time I was going to Holland and I was definitely missing the plane. But like, they had some power strike or something over in Amsterdam. Like, in the biggest, one of the biggest airports in the world, they had a power, some, a power outage. And, and my plane was late by half an hour. Uh, <laughs> sitting in the seat again, like, lovely. <laughs> and there Rondo to Calgary here a few days ago where, where, where it was a bit sloppy I went to the wrong terminal and then it was all a big panic job now and I was running and I don't like running in airports so I was fucking running <laughs> I got up and then I asked the girl can I get on there and she said yeah but you don't have your ticket and I said we can print off one for me no no computer said no and then I started giving up and rang somebody and then they said go up and ask another one so I went up and asked another one the next thing he got me on the plane I gave him a $20 tip I'd say he didn't know what happened to him because he was looking at me all funny with the $20 I'd have given him 100 he got me on the plane and then uh, all it was like a bit of a sauna but I was on the fucking so you know that happened they're there two hours in advance so trainers were like that some people like to let their dogs think and give them a bit of room or rope to experiment and more people like to control the shit out of it like yeah yeah definitely Paddy, could you just give us a bit of, um, like being from Ireland, and, and I know that you, um, you're very passionate about the spot that you live in at Wicklow over there, could you just give us a little rundown on what it's like, and, um, and yeah, just, just give, us, give everyone a bit of an insight about Wicklow, if you wouldn't mind. Good thing my wife's not listening to this, because I was getting fierce fond of British Columbia there. I was thinking, geez, if, if I was staying here a bit longer, I wouldn't want to come home. I, I have a heap of places I want to go and fellas want to see it all, and, and I could live there easily. But um, 
I do like living in Ireland, and I kind of, even when I go around to all these different places, like, I think I'm going to Iceland two weeks, like, Iceland, and that'll be super now, but, but and, and Norway, where Sean is, is top class too, but uh, I do like Wicklow, because in Wicklow, we're just, we're not too far from Dublin Airport, about an hour, and when I do a bit of work, you know, I do work a couple of days a week, that's usually in Dublin as well, so it's not too far away, I tell you a good one, there's no parking in the airport before I left, so I left my van on this job that we're doing, and, uh, I'm here about 10 days, but I call it a couple of fellas going into pitch for me, and I said, We just move my van around the side a bit, make it look like I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 you know, that, that's the way the thing carries on. But we've got super because we have the mountains for the sheep and the dogs, we have the beach if it gets hot enough to swim, and it's great because we've no sharks, there's nothing in Ireland that can eat you, and uh, no snakes, no spiders, none of that stuff that you guys have. And so, it's just a real easy going place. Oh, it's getting a bit busier now with people and all, but it's, I like it. Got Mountains to see and Dublin, then if we need it, like. And you got no platypuses either, Patty. <laughs> no platypuses, no, you them fuckers. No porcupines, no honey badgers, no <laughs> no coyotes. <laughs> and they picked, they picked up a grass snake in the clinic and they started chasing me with the other day. I nearly jumped out of my skin. Thank God, St. Patrick got rid of all our snakes. We've done. <laughs> well, the big brown snakes are just starting to come well, out. Well, well, we, we, we have, a, we have a couple of financial snakes, but we've no none of the ones that crawl on the ground. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. Oh, what you? Um, yeah, I was just going to... So, I'll Brad... Ask John something there. John's getting, John's getting the easy time there, sitting back <laughs> right in. He still looks up, like that. <laughs> Make, make him, you woke him up out of a dream to do this there. Yeah, you can have lots of slides on because you're half sleep there. Doesn't even have yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was any insight on what's going on. Paddy's in, he's like lunchtime over in Canada. We're like, what, mid morning here in Australia. And Sean, what are you, mate? You're like one o'clock in the morning or something, are you? Yeah, yep. I just wanted to get back a bit to, to, you know, you said you had the farm, but it was like tillage, like so cropping, um, and then, you know, did you have brothers, sisters, um, you know, how did you work on the farm, when did dogs come into that? My brother had, my brother's actually not a bad dog man, and he's better than me because he can, if he has an average dog, he can work with it and get a little bit more out of him than he has to give. He has a dog there now, but he's getting old now, but he often tricks people with him and they think it's a great dog, but it, like he looks great, but then when the push comes to shove, he's not great. But my brother knows that, but he's had good dogs over the years and he's, he has sheep on the mountain too. And, but yeah, I had six brothers, no sisters. So I have an excuse there, and I forget my wife's birthday card to say, ah, oh, I never had sisters. When I don't get flowers, I never had sisters. But then the the thing is that three or four of them farm, and but it's mainly kind of, yeah, cattle, a bit of tillage and that. And my brother has those blackies. He, he has plenty of them. But uh, no, he, me and him are the only dog man, really, and he hasn't time to be a dog man. And now he's got all into bees in the last few years and honey and all that, so he's obsessed with that. So, well, I'm a, so we brought over... Uh, uh, and the, the Norwegian <laughs> is also Dogman. So he came over. Uh, so Sean knows him. That's Tor. He came over. I said, come on over to Ireland there for a couple of days. I'll put you up. I'll show you the mountain and the sheep and show you a few dogs. And then you can do it. I'll talk about the bees, my brother. So that, that's we tied that up. But uh, tell you one thing. Um, <coughs> 
one thing I would like to talk about, and you guys are all, all three of you are sort of horsemen as well. Um, the whole, when, when I go about training dogs, the whole principle, it, uh, the, the, the whole foundation of my thinking goes back to Tom Dorrance and Bill Dorrance. And you saw there, uh, you probably saw there, I had an interview with Brian Newbert, and he used to work for those guys, and, and Ray Hunt, Ray Hunt. So I used to get, Ray Hunt had a little brown book, maybe you've seen it, and he used to talk about, you know, about letting the, the horse find the way and making it his idea and all this kind of thing. So those boys put the whole principle into my thinking with sheepdog training. And and so that, his book can kind of sum up all my thinking. And then, then I, I did meet one more guy then that was very influential, uh, a Belgian called Bart Bellin. And Bart trains police dogs and trains dogs that bite you and that kind of stuff, Belgian ring sport dogs. And uh, he, he sort of changed my thinking a little bit because I used to think that my sheepdogs were real loyal and they were my friend and, and you know, they wanted to work with me. I had one dog there and he'd be barking in the morning to go on the lamb and even though he'd wear him out every day. But I used to think they were my friends, but Bart changed my look on that, my outlook. And now I see them more as, you know, they're, my dogs are in it. Yeah, they're my friends and all, but really they're in it because I'm friends with benefits there. I've got sheep work, and really that's what they're in it for. And so that's the way I see the relationship now that they're, they're working with me, but really they're just rewarding themselves. And I've made myself important in the relationship, so they include me in it. That's just, just, just the way my outlook has changed. I just said I shared that with you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's excellent. Mm. And and yeah, and Dave was saying earlier, you were you were your dad's street dog, is that right? <laughs> oh well, every Irish kid is. Uh, so yeah, you're talking to me. Yeah, every Irish kid is. So I often see a fellow with a dog, and you have two or three kids off running down, standing in the gateways ahead of them and all. <laughs> and so that tells you all about. Well, it tells you all about either him or the sheepdog, one or the other. But uh, um. Yeah, I used to have to do a bit of that with my brothers and we'd move on cattle and it'd be a big have to run up the road ahead of him and block the gaps and you'd often get a kick and ask for yourself uh, I remember getting a box in the head once from my brother um, uh, and from a few brothers and you know how it is like cattle go wrong and you're the idiot to let them go and you get to blame and maybe a kick in the ass but so sometimes I see people talking about oh he gave the dog a kick and he's a very mean guy so, well I got lots of them kicks and it wasn't the end of the world like Sharp me up a bit, actually. Yeah. <laughs> where, where are you in the spectrum of your brothers, Paddy? Are you like mid-range, or are you oldest or youngest, or how's that work out? Well, I was a baby for a long time, then another kid fella came along and spoiled ah. that. So I was, I, was in, I was getting baby ballast there for a while. Ah. <laughs> so you're the second youngest? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, cool. Um, you touched on the mountain there before a bit, Paddy. Um, can you just sort of maybe for people that haven't seen a video from you or something like that on Facebook or TikTok or whatever, could you just sort of describe the terrain and, and what a dog has to go through to be able to pull sheep off the mountain? Well, it's funny. Uh, Sean has mountain there. I saw Sean put up a video there lately and he could have been down on my mountain. It's the same kind of terrain, all rocky, all stuff. Now we have nice bits that are kind of flat, nice big, like they're big, probably a little bit like your ground, a bit kind of rangier. Uh, and then we have this kind of big, long, rocky valley that we have to get sheep out of. And it's kind of a dangerous place to walk yourself. And the fellas used to do it, but now we can do most of it with the dogs, put the dogs up in it. And it's dangerous enough for dogs, but fortunately you never have any injuries. And then it can be dangerous enough for sheep. Sometimes you see them tumbling down the mountain and uh, you'll be thinking that one's history. And the next thing they get up and walk off, I don't know, that wool must be a bit of a bungee or something, or a bit of a trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> 
I tell you what. So it's back to when I'm training dogs. One of Ray Hunt said to you probably heard Ray Hunt talking before or read some of his stuff, but he said make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. And so like there's a that's that's a little simple sentence, but it kind of encapsulates most of the training. And what I love about the mountain is. <laughs> If you screw up there, Mr. Dog, you're going to put an awful lot of work on yourself. I'm trying to help you to find the easy way here, but if you want to do it the hard way, you can do it that way too, and by God, I'll make you suffer. And so when I say I make him suffer, I'm not mean to him, but but I'll make him work, and if he's getting it wrong, he's going to have to work more than he needs to. And then he's listening, and he's here, and he's going to start to get a lot better. When he's he's worn out and the job's not finished, he still has to go, he's starting to get a bit more manners then. I start to think... What about you, Sean? I mean, we, you've been on the podcast before, mate, but like like Paddy said, like your mountain's just as hard as any other anywhere around, really. What do you find about it? Um, what do I find? Yeah, well, um, I, I guess I, I agree with Paddy in that, you know, if the dog doesn't, like, if he's in sight and he doesn't listen, then then he's, you know, going to put extra work on him on himself for sure, and that gets them, you know, choosing to take the command that you that you give them pretty quickly. But I guess my mountain, um, unfortunately and fortunately, it's there's not a lot of really good open stuff, so it's a, I have trouble to see the dogs a lot. So I sort of, you know, I see a lot of the mountains around the blokes can see a long way and they can do a lot of tricky stuff. Mine sort of very um you know it's below the tree line most of it so i yeah i struggle to do those big you know um in, in sight casts and stuff um but that's sort of you know i guess i'm i'm lucky that i got a got an old kelpie dog that um i sort of trust a little bit out of sight and i can send him um and you know it, as long as he can send the sheep he'll normally find them and and at least pull them up and that um but yeah, no, I, I agree with what Patty said that if they if they make the wrong the wrong if they don't listen to to what he, whatever you're asking them to do, um, they do put more work on themselves, and the dogs very quickly associate that if they just take the the flank command or whatever that you're asking them to do, then they'll get their sheep quicker, pull the sheep up, and and it'll be easier for them. So, it, and you know, I think the the good thing with the mountain is that um, everything's very obvious for the dog the terrain makes like if you're asking a dog to take a wide wide flank to get out of stock to go wide around somewhere the terrain sort of makes it very obvious to them what you're asking them to do so you're teaching them on the job in a way whereas if you're doing that on a flat ground you've got to almost use more pressure to get the dog to understand what you want so i love training on the mountain at work because i just think it makes things so uncomplicated for the dog to understand yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense, eh? So. <laughs> um, so, so, Paddy, did, did you start, um, you left Ireland because you're drinking too much and running amok, is that right? And then you went to Canada and then, then came back. So, um, me, and my, me and my buddy were actually supposed to go to Australia. So we said, we'll go to Australia. I said, right, we'll go to Australia. And then 
Then, I know, after a week or two, he said, no, let's go, I want to go to Canada. I said, Canada, Australia, don't mind, go to Canada. So I got, got working on, I got working on that type of holiday fake visa, because I was trying to get into America to be brother in San Jose, but they wouldn't let me into America. I had to go to American Embassy and everything for an interview and still wouldn't let me in. I mean, they were right, because I wasn't intending to come back. But, uh, so then, so then new plan was go to Canada, and then my buddy said, after another week or two, he said, you know what, I'm going to get one of them round the world tickets, I'm going to go around the world. And so that was all right for him, because he wasn't alcohol. But uh, I had to, I said, shit, well, I need to get out here fast now, and so Canada's the only ticket in town, so straight to Canada. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't know anybody or anything. I got to the airport in, well, I spent a couple of days in Toronto with some friends of friends who were glad to see the back of me. And then I went to Edmonton, because that was on the way up to Yellowknife. But in Edmonton, then I said, ah, tell you what, I'll go to the bar first while I decide what to do. And then the barmaid put me up for a couple of weeks. I was only 19 then, like. But uh, I never went up to Yellowknife because it was dangerous. I was bothered at the time they were having strikes up there and all. So it's just well I didn't go up there. Yeah. But uh, that, that's how that gig worked out. And that's where, that's where I came across that book of, of uh, Ray Hunt's book. And I was working for this kind of, uh, kind of rancher fellow. He used to manage a big ranch in anybody's own, but he, he, uh, he wasn't a great fellow, really. I worked for some real good people. He wasn't one of them. But uh, he did say one thing to me that always stuck to me. He said, uh, well, he said a couple of things. He said one thing was, he said, never take a shortcut unless you know exactly what you're doing, Paddy. And so now you know this from the horses. You can take shortcuts as long as you know how to get out of them if it just goes a bit wrong. But I've seen it my whole life with everything, you know, furniture, when I'm fitting furniture, any of those things. You take shortcuts, all right, if you know what you're at. But if you don't, don't be taking shortcuts. And then the other thing was, you said, never let anybody else beat your dog, Paddy. But that bit was good. That bit was good. The first bit was right. The second bit was bullshit. And so you gave up. Drinking that, that long ago, and you still don't drink? Oh, you know, I don't drink. If I drank now, it would be all over. <laughs> you're actually, you're actually on a podcast with at least three non-drinkers. I don't know if Dave drinks, but uh-huh. I don't know. I don't drink uh-huh. either. Adam will be oh, able to answer that question for you. Dave, still drink. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, some people choose not to drink. My buddy choose not to drink because the price tag kind of got a bit high. He didn't like having a hangover for a day or two. But with me, uh, uh, yeah, it was a bit, I had to do something. But I tell you what was funny, boys. I was going to make a TikTok the other day. I was in this spot out in the middle of BC, this kind of, it wasn't a little Mickey Mouse town, but a real Mickey Mouse 30 years ago when I was there. But <laughs> I went, went drinking with these Indians one night and then ended up fucking hours away from where I was, you know, living and working. So I had to get up next morning and go back to work. But we ended up getting stuck in this little place and we we're trying to hitch out of it. Now, an Indian, like a Native American Indian, like Gabo. So <laughs> we we're trying to hitch out of this place and I fucking no money. And all I had, the only thing we had in common was a hangover. And, and nobody stopped me because up, who wanted to pick up the Indian and the white foam? So, uh, yeah, it's funny to be back there and, you know, I've got a rental car now and go wherever I like. But that time I hadn't got money, I had nothing. <laughs> nothing on me, I think. It's funny, he's talking about uh, Ray Hunt there. I'm actually uh, really good friends with his grandson, Jaden Lloyd. Um, and he, he he's actually at the Snapple Bit for Jerry now for, for the Cowboys in the States. But he comes over to Australia most normally once a year and does a lot of like horsemanship clinics and stuff. And um, so, yeah, he's, he's a really cool, really cool guy. Well, well, what I love about him is. 
right, you're in Australia, I'm in Canada, Sean's over there in Norway, but Canada everywhere. But I don't know how small this world gets with dogs or, or with links with horses too. So I was really pleased that time I got to re- meet, meet Brian Newbert because like, he worked with Ray and with Tom and all. So I was really pleased with that. But then I was looking at, I was listening to one of your boys on the podcast, one of the first ones, the old guy that I can't think of his name, the, and he was giving out about saying... Yeah, about putting a bit of thoroughbred back into horses and talking about where to buy land this side of the river or this side of the road. And uh, I really like getting to that guy. But I realised he brought Ray Hunt to Australia years ago, or maybe the first time Ray. I just I saw a photograph of him with Ray Hunt. Yeah. In a, there was a bunch of them there. Yeah, he came to his place, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's all surprised that all of us guys are talking together and all, because we're all... We're all thinking, we're on that track there, we're all thinking about how to squeeze a bit more out of the training, how to do it a bit better. You know, it's no, it's no, it's no surprise that we keep bumping into all these guys and we have all these commonalities. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. And so in, in, in Canada there, um, you ended up coming, did you start with dogs when you were in Canada or was that when you came home again? I got started, I bought a book one time in, in a like in a shop, I just bought this book with a nice picture of a sheepdog on the front and it was Clint Jones, A Way of Life and I'd say the photograph was the reason I bought it I just thought a little romantic idea wouldn't it be nice train dogs and uh, but then when I came back after giving up beer and leaving Canada and coming home and all and, and well and having no job that's why I went to work from dad, I was sort of unemployable that time like, but then um, uh, but then I had these bits of dogs that I picked up I saw a fellow two bad cattle one time and, and I got a pitch in on the deal from him and then I, sold, I bought a few sheep from a guy and he took me in a dog pup for luck and uh, you know that dog pup turned into the best catalogue I ever had but the bitch the bitch was good and all but I couldn't believe that I started training with the book and they started to get better and better and uh, what happened was the bitch the dog was just kind of lying there doing nothing and the bitch got sick I tell you what I put a bit of pour on her, on her back like you know the cow pour on stuff and I put on a bit too much of the burger a bit. so she had to wear one of them little lampshade hoods I was a bit cheap that time I was but uh, so she had to wear this lampshade hood and all and she was living in the house that time I had him living in the house it was real funny when she wore the hood she walked down the stairs backwards for a couple of days but I had to park her up and that's how I got the other dog going then and then the other dog just started to get better and better and I realised he was twice as good but uh, I, this is one other thing uh, I like to say to people that if you keep an average dog you have no room for a good one like. and so you know you kind of have to well for, for us guys that like training all you have to push yourself a bit and if you keep those middle ones you just stop getting good ones and what happened with me was when I started uh, that dog that real good catalogue my buddy Norman said he's not good enough for trial and paddy he hasn't got enough balance I remember thinking, I'll show you he has balance. He's a super dog. But in the back of my head, I was listening to Norman too. I was teachable. Like I wasn't employable, but I was teachable. And uh, so Norman found this other dog for me to buy. One of his, and, and tell you the truth, he was a, he, I, when I saw the dog working, I thought, I have to shoot that horse. He's too dangerous. Like He's, he's cheap, pinging him off fences and all. And uh, Norman leaned over me and see, Norman was his Protestant fella and the fellow we were buying the dog off was a Protestant fella and I was thinking geez now is Norman just looking out for his buddy here now trying to sell me this dog that should get a bullet like <laughs> and, but Norman when the guy was showing us this dog and I was thinking like, I'm going to get him sheep in a minute Norman leans over to me and he says he said if you don't buy him I will and I was thinking well he's only 250 pounds or whatever I was thinking I'll buy him and because at least for 250, I'll find out if you're my friend or his friend. <laughs> or if we can find out. <laughs> but, uh, 
I'm too tight there and he'll open out. You know, it's it's the same thing that I've been doing around my feet. That I can, they can do it at 800 yards. doesn't matter. So sometimes people, well, for dogs that I'm keeping myself, maybe if I sell a dog in an auction, we use a few bottles and just bang them out there, you know, just get them working to make the video. But I'm not that kind of guy. Most dogs I train, I'm training with myself in mind or else, you know, I sell them off early before I start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, that, that bully, that bullying method, or that forcing method, you know, close by with rakes and bottles and everything, it, it's exactly like you say. Like, it might work when the dog's twenty or fifty meters from you, but what happens when they're at half a k? If, if you're not, yeah. you know, if, if they're not on side with what you're trying to do, then yeah, you've lost straight away. Yeah, like, like you were saying, there, Sean. I want the dog to understand what I'm asking him. You know, I see people and they're like, get out of here and knock it off and all this other shit there up. And, you know, then close at hand, maybe making them go in the corners. That's all great, close at hand. Show me that at 500 yards there. And show me, does your dog understand? And, you know, nine out of 10 times or nine, nine times out of 100, they won't. Mm. Or if they do, it might be out of fear instead of, you know, a will to actually try. Which is obviously yeah. not, you know, not what we want because then the dog's not given everything it's got. Yeah. Do you find, Patty, that once a dog starts to understand that when he gets stopped, that the sheep, he's getting pulled away from the sheep as a reprimand, once they start to learn that if they're doing the right thing, they're going to be allowed to work all the time, they come on a lot quicker from that, from that, that way of thinking, that way of training? Well, that's kind of how I think of it. So it's like, it's like, uh, it'd be a like kid with the candy there saying, yeah. he's running for the candy and you say, stop. And you've got to give me something before I let you have the candy. So they, they quickly get into that kind of system, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more of um, pressure and release, reward, reward and reprimand type deal. Yeah. yeah. And so to stop... That's why the stop is important to me. People say the stop is the most important command, but it is and it is. But it's very important for communicating with too. That's why it's important to me. But um, yeah, there's something else I'm going to say about that. And a lot of time people see me and they say, "Why is Paddy talking about the stop?" Sure, half the time he doesn't have a very good stop, and that's true too. Uh, but um, we do need to stop because you can't move on to the next step. Uh, I say to people there, and I say it for training a bit. Uh, I say, you know, maybe they do a stop and they don't get it and then they do a bit of a come by and they do something. And so what I say is, really, when you're at that, you're just, you're piling a bit of shit on top of a bit of shit on top of a bit of shit and you have nothing. So you get that stop first, uh, you know, it, it gives you a little foundation to work off. Yeah, that's the guy. Uh, I'll tell you what, so we're talking around and we're, you know, describing it and we're saying, you know, we're pointing, using examples, but the name for it, the scientific name for it is the pre-mac principle. And so that's, so, so in sheepdog training for any, like, you know, obediency people and, and head dog people, they're all great on this terminology. They all understand it. We know how to apply it, but they understand the terms. And so this pre-mac principle that I use nearly all the time with sheepdog training. And then if I have a shy pup or something, I'll do a bit of clicker training with it there. Uh, uh, operant conditioning, whatever you want to call it, clicker training. So if you come to me, you know, I'll probably feed you and then soon I'll click and you just get the dog's brain working and get him, get him start using me. Yeah, yeah. Nah, no, that makes sense. I, I, I'm in a bit of trouble here, boys, because the cleaners have all come in. Are <laughs> <laughs> they come, come in to sweep away the shit, Patty, or what? Yeah, the bullshit. 
No, you're right. You just get to where you need to get to, Paddy. We'll just work around you, mate. Eh? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think they're all right. They're not too noisy. Yeah. You can't be bad at that intercom anyway. Yeah, I gotcha. So, yeah. A little uh, bit. You go, Sean. Oh, I was just going to ask Paddy, like, talking about working on the mountain and, and everything, um... Do you see, like, I just wondered about the trials over in, in the UK and um, obviously the same here in Europe, but just wanted your opinion on um, how those trials reflect the practical work that people do on the hill. Um, if you see that there's a, you know, a good association there or, or if it's just completely different, what's your opinion there? Well, I think trials is relevant because you can train dogs to get around trial course. It just means you have good control on them on the hill, uh, you know, so you can put them where he needs to be. You can help him, like you have to help him because you're sending them out. They can't see the sheep and all, and so you have to help him a little bit to get there. And sometimes you'll be testing their GPS and you'll find it. It'll surprise you how good it is. But um, you, you know, you, they'll need a blowout or a pull in, and so it's all relevant to trials. The other thing I'd say, I uh, so the, the type of dog we like. I like a strong dog, and I like a dog that fights with me a bit, or you don't have to fight with him to get something. You know, it's because he's desired strong and he has that power to back it up I like that but uh, the other thing is you can do an awful lot of work on the hill with a with a light or a weak dog because you know they won't overcook anything they won't press too much they won't be too hard to stop they'll naturally be good outrunners you know because they'll be keeping out a little bit so lighter dogs can suit the hill very well and then obviously for winning trials you're, you're probably better with lighter dogs um because they're not going to be screwing up stuff on you and they're going to be giving sheep a little bit of weight and they're going to be feeling them. But my goal is, is always try and take the stronger dog and to make them work like the soft dog because the soft dog is working, you know, most time he's working right like good soft dog. And so the trials, probably a lot of people probably go for lighter dogs because they're less hassle and if they're parked up during the week, they're not going to come undone, like they're not going to tighten up. Every, that bruise dog I have is nine and a half and every spring I have to spend a bit of time for trials to open up his spanks and all. Now I like that, that's a lot better than I'm getting wider every year. But um, so, so the trials, at all, if you can train it out for trials, it means you can train it out to get her around. And so I think trials are good. Then when you get into bigger trials, like the internationals and the, the world trials, where you get into the final and you're shedding 20 sheep to get, you're shedding, trying to get five out of 20 sheep. I love that. And I love shedding in general, so it's so practical. Because we're using that on the mountain. We go up to get a few sheep, there's a few Sean's in there, there's a few Adam's in there, there's a few days, a few of mine. I only want mine. So, you know, you need, and the nice thing is about the sheep on the mountain is they kind of know their own families. They know that I'm Paddy's sheep. So they're a little bit easier to shed out. Um, but it, it, uh, So that's very relevant. I, I just love the shedding and the international shedding trials. And then... Well, then penning, penning's a practical thing enough, you know, because, you know, often on the mountain and all, the facilities are very bad, so you're going to be penning in tricky places, and, you know, your dogs would need to go to work right, you know, they need to take their commands, they need to stop when you're down, they need to go off balance, do all that stuff, uh, and so trials is good for that. Let's you know where you are with your dog. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're all just sort of sitting here waiting for each other to talk. Hey, Adam. Um, okay, Adam. Them two fucking Australian fellas are watching the footy there while we're fucking talking away here trying to think of answers. We're yeah. talking away and then they go and look at the footy. Oh, geez, Dave, look, we got another goal there. Yeah. And, uh, and then the they, 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 they're all interested and then we stop talking there and sometimes they're still looking at the footy. <laughs> We're proper badasses, Paddy. We're sitting here with big cups of water. Look at us. <laughs> hey, that's hey, right. Come hey, on, hey, Paddy. Hey, Adam. 
it's a good or yeah, uh, Sean. I mean, it's a good thing. Um, it's a good thing we can see the fuckers because we got in smoke on there and we be shouting in the, the questions to us. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just um, yeah. oh, did he? Hey, hey, hey! Did he stop knocking me at him? Fire another one at him there. <laughs> yeah. What were you gonna say, Rogel? I was gonna try and take him, take Paddy back to talk about those first first two dogs he got, and one was good and one wasn't, and then just how it progressed from there. You know, um, we're using them for work, then had to get other dogs, and and then when we progressed to trialing. Well, I'll give you a real kind of quick snapshot of all that. So I got the first two on a kind of a deal or whatever. And so the bitch then, she was real good. She was kind of easy trained. She was kind of fast and busy. And she was strong enough, but she wasn't a real strong dog. Like she wouldn't be able for cows and calves or any of that kind of stuff. She probably worked dry cattle a little bit, all right? And then too good as she. But um, then the other dog, when I got him going, I saw, Jesus, it, like he was just, just really knew how to how to work cattle and to mine himself and the suckers wouldn't spare him like when, actually when he was six months old or nine months old he got, I put him out on heifers one day and he got run over I remember thinking I didn't know much about dogs so I didn't know anything I was reading out of the book but I think it shit maybe that would finish up. but it, it didn't make a bit of difference to him later on when, when, the, when the bitch got sore that time uh, he came out and he was indifferent but he was real good at it good at swinging out her nose and getting out of the way of the kicks and then healing him and all that he's just a good catalog and uh, so but then I and so I was, we, we, me and my dad were buying and selling lots of sheep and we had lots of sheep moving and we'd go down to the auction yards and, you know, there'd be queues in with the jeeps and trailers and all. I'd just let my sheep out in the yard and as soon as some guy pulled out, I'd whip my sheep in it just saved me doing all the queuing. And uh, and so my dad got good at working in the yards and moving sheep around, a bit like the cattle on the feedlot the other day. So they're moving the sheep around and they'd, they'd be jumping pens and, you know, all that stuff, working well. But... I heard about this sheepdog trial and I said, Jesus, I said to my neighbour Nicky, I said, Nicky's dead now. He was on the mountain with us too. I said, Nicky, would I be able to go to that sheepdog trial with my dog? And Nicky said, ooh, ooh, your dog wouldn't be good enough for that. No, 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 you couldn't go to that. But it was a bit like the girl who wouldn't let me on the airplane the other day. I didn't like Nicky's answer, so I went and found another dog fella. I said, uh, And he, 
he said me take the award down to there he's a whole lot of other sayings but what he did do was he was at dogs for 40 years and anything he could tell me anything he could download into me he did so and he used to say to me most fellas wouldn't tell you this Paddy but just what you need to do there is and uh, at the time I used to laugh at him but he was right most fellas wouldn't tell you they wouldn't want you getting better I think you find that bit, Paddy, when you when you really find someone that um, you're um, you sort of you like the way they train, or even just a friendship. You know, like Adam and I struck up a friendship just just through dogs, and only ever spoke on the phone, and haven't haven't ever really had any face to face contact. But we get along really well because we're on the same page so much. And I think when you find someone that's willing to put the time into you, and um, and help and improve your 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 um your dogmanship and stuff like that. They they see that the passion's there and it's a lot easier for them to be able to give you the information because they know that you're going to take it and go and do something with it. Do you do you, do you reckon that sort of something that that um you find when you know you your you yourself might be mentoring someone say like Sean with you know progressing his dogmanship. I'll give you an example. Me and Eamon Connell, we don't we don't pal around anymore. But for a couple of years there, we did. We trained a lot together, and we trained double fetches, stuff like that, and a lot of things. And the way I look at it is, like each of us were one, but when you put the two of us together, then it was more like five. So in the same way that when we connect here and we talk about ideas, then other people get to listen to them. I don't know. Just I think it uh, kind of compounds the knowledge or something. There's a bit of conversation goes back and forth and something extra comes out of it. You know, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but I just know you put two minds together, it's not two, it's more like five or six, like. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's often, it's oftentimes just people will show you something that you didn't notice yourself about how your dog's going or what you're doing, or it's just much more clear to an outside, you know, set of eyes. That's what I've, you know, um, I've, you know, really gotten help with is just, yeah, other people's opinion or them noticing things that you're not doing quite right or something and it just fast forwards you, you know, it could be years that you, it would have taken you to work it out for yourself sort of thing. Yeah, sometimes it might yeah. just be a step, a half a step this way or a half a step that way or move, take it, giving the stock somewhere to go and it just takes that person to, to see that and... Um, and then it, it like it's nearly like a, your mind blows because it just made that little thing that you were struggling with so much easier. And, but it really wasn't a, a big issue, you know. No, I, I, I think that's very valid. I like to have somebody looking over me. That was a good thing. I'd say when Aim and I were training together, you know, you need somebody to be objective and look at what you're doing, and and sometimes call bullshit on you. Yeah. And um, like I had an example of that there the other morning, the first morning the clinic, somebody was kind of, oh, he didn't do that yesterday, and he doesn't do it here. You know, you just need to call out that bullshit there, and, you know, call like. And um, but sometimes people don't like that. But uh, I just that's what I want for myself. So that's what I give everybody else whether yeah, they want yeah. it or not. Like I think the three yeah. of us on the other side of this conversation are all exactly the same, Patty. If if you're um, if you're mucking up or if you're not doing something right, and that person's taking time out of their day to come and you know train dogs with you, and you're mucking up and carrying on, you know, we could all take a little bit of a. A bit of a hit, and um, but you know it's not like you're getting abused or anything. You, you know it's beneficial in the, in the long run for sure. 
Yeah, well, you see, it depends where it's coming from. So, like what you're talking about, what I'm talking about, it's like objective criticism. And so objective criticism is is to make you better. It's not to criticize you. Yeah, like, exactly. we can all, you know, you know, it's not to pick out. I had a boss one time I worked for, and he could tell me all the, he pointed out all the stuff I wasn't doing. And I knew the stuff I wasn't doing. You know, he let myself off the hook there. But one day I had to pull him aside and say, here, this is great pointing out all the shit I'm getting wrong, but you need to start pointing out some of the shit I'm getting right here. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to get sinking and tell you to pick your job up your ass. Like, and so, um, he, he, like, so, you know, it kind of has to be balanced that way. But between ourselves, you know, when it's not, uh, like, it's, when you can pick out the good stuff as well as the bad stuff, like, because there's always good stuff too. And so, and that balances it all. But when, like, I invite that objective criticism. Uh, but you, you know the difference. You know when somebody just yeah, yeah, yeah. that's different. I turn on them usually. Yeah, 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 This uh, noise is not going to fuck up the whole interview. It's nah, annoying me there. But um, yeah, maybe it's not as bad. It won't be as bad on the thing. But uh, one thing, like, there's one obvious thing there, and I pointed out to one or two handlers there this weekend, and Sean will have heard me at this before. And it's a really easy fix. But you see some people, and their dogs are looking back at them. And now I don't want that. It might matter as much, you know, it doesn't matter as much in a work situation. But it's just as easy not to have them looking back at you. And where that all starts is. is it's back to whatever we're rewarding. So every time dog looks at us, we tell him something. Uh, then, then it becomes a habit. He looks back at us for information. And so that's a really easy one for people to clean up. I often point that out to people. And because when we're talking here, even on this even uh, on this forum here, we're making eye contact in that, you know, we're looking for the person's eye. And the trouble is we do that with our dogs too. And our dogs don't need us to look at them. And so we just... Uh, Sometimes people need to wean themselves off that, just to have the dog always on the stock. Because it's so easy. You, if, if you send a dog out in an outrun, he's going a bit wrong, you need to direct him. Well, if he turns around to look at you, it's really hard to direct him when he has his ass in the direction of where you want to send him. So uh, that's just one thing that I don't think I would be. I just had to mention it there. Yeah. 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 set of challenges for the say someone at your level because you're obviously still you're at the highest level but you're still trying to be even better I would imagine 
<laughs> yeah, well, funny. Well, um, so, like, there's two yeah. sets of two two different sets, like people beginning the, the challenges, and then once you get to to a really high level, then what's the challenges like? The challenges then I'd imagine would be like, yeah, trying to get better, but then finding the elite dogs and how to keep. Anyway, I'm probably giving you too many questions at once, but... Well, I'll tell you about my challenges, right? And it's either hard to do anything, so one is that I'm a bit lazy, I don't practice that much. Uh, like, I, I might be schooling dogs, but I don't actually practice working them enough. And so that sort of, that hit me a bit there in the world trial. I could have had a great opportunity in the world trial, and I could have performed better if I just practiced a bit more. And then the other part of it is, I think, like, a little of a personality defect that interferes with my handling. So I've often asked good handlers, you know, because when I look at another handler, I can say, oh, yeah, he always fucked up there. He always he has this little defect in him. Or, you know, maybe he overschools when he goes home or he does too much. And you can figure it out. But I can't figure it out myself. And so I'd love somebody to tell me what it is. But I'm, And I've often asked, but they don't tell me, don't say. But I'm inclined to think, personally, inside, I know, uh, I'm a forceful kind of a character. So I know that if I were pulling out in traffic or something, Another fellow might hesitate, stop, whereas I'll just go and we'll deal with consequences. And so it's a bit like that in when I handle the dog then. It's always very proactive. I'm not waiting to kind of see what sheep do. I'm fucking bossing them and forcing them a bit. And, you know, I know if I could just ease off a bit and let the sheep do some of the work for me, that, uh, you know, I could have nicer runs. And, and, and so that's just a defect to have. Even, you know, when I'm finished running the national, I usually run off the course. But I think I'd get out of the way for the next person there. Don't be wasting time. And, uh, but that's, that's just my little, I think that's my little, uh, well, it's one thing that doesn't serve me well. So that's for me as a handler. They're the only two ways I know how to get better. Practice a bit and then go to a psychiatrist and get them to change SIM card in here. But um, I'm 50 now, so probably speak with the SIM card I've got. And so then, so that's me. So then the, the, the newer handler. Well, the newer handler, I don't know if this was your question, but for newer handlers, all I can ever say is, because it's what I did, is it's find the people that have what you want and stick like shit to them and, and yeah. you know, see what they're doing and, and listen to them. And it's funny how many times I'll be trying to help somebody and they'll say, but, or I know, or, you know, so that, that, that kind of shit just stops the information flow. So for a new handler, uh, just surround yourself with the people who have what you want. It's real simple. And, uh, like, even I have to kind of be careful to keep away from the fuckers that don't have what I want because, you know, I'd shake off one of them there lately because it just doesn't... Just, it's, it's just a subtle little pull me down hanging around with the wrong ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my outlook on it. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, how do I explain this to my dog or whatever? I said, well, get yourself real clear on it first. Very often, a lot of things start to reflect back on your dog when you get when I get clear. So, like, for example, when I was working on those turnbacks with my buddy Eamon, yeah, we, we trained, like, standard turnbacks, but what happens is I get started to get a real clear understanding, and then I'm looking at what I need on the mountain, which often is a skewed, backwards, awkward thing, and, and I'm thinking, dog doesn't need to know where I am in the whole location, he just needs to understand his turnback, and, and from the way I set him up and all that kind of so what happened is I got super clear on it then I can make it super clear for the dog and then it just starts to sort itself out yeah. 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 
It's good though. Adam, Adam, or not Adam, I call him Adam, Sean Adam. Sean hasn't fallen asleep on us yet, no. But I tell you, Sean, you're not the only one that's tired, right? So I got up last night and I drove, I left the boys, we were sorting cattle in that feedlot, and uh, a new cattle came in and we had to wave and all. And then I had to drive to the fake airport, and I, like, driving two or three hours is nearly too far for me there, falling asleep and all. So I drive about five hours to the airport, and then I was in the car park, in the rental car, and I said, I'll have a little sleep here, and then some Indian fella came over and woke me up, and said, you can't sleep here. So then I had to come into the airport too early. So then the eyes were burning out of my head. Then I managed to get on the plane anyway. And uh, that's when I put my bag on with all the money. Did I say about that? You put it on with all the money. And uh, so then the eyes were burning out of my head. But at least I'm sitting in the seat. You know the way I told you, I love sitting in the seat because I'm on there and I can't fuck it up. I'm in. And, uh, and now I'm here. But I had a bit of a snore. I say I was snoring. And the boy beside me probably wasn't impressed. But I had a bit of a snore on the plane coming from Vancouver to Toronto. And now I'm going on to Ireland. And I'll be in Ireland for about 8 o'clock in the morning. So hopefully I'll be able to sleep tonight. Yeah. So I'm not feeling one bit sorry for you, Sean. Was, poor me, poor me. <laughs> oh, man, I'm good. He's done some stretches. I'm glad he laid back a bit further. Yeah. Done a few stretches. I didn't know when I got up. I didn't know whether I should have a beer or a coffee. But yeah, we ended up with the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Hey, I'm, I, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody's done this to you. I, woke, I finished work, well, I got out beer and all in Canada years ago, and I finished working on this job, and I went down, and we were staying in an apartment, and I went down with a few of us in it, and I went to bed like at 7 o'clock in the evening, and the boys woke me up at 8 o'clock and said, Paddy, quick, quick, get up, you're fucking late here. Shit, yeah. And, and I was down in the parking lot before they told me. I was only in bed an hour. <laughs> I've had a similar, yeah, experience. Um... Paddy, I've got a question for you. Um, from when you started out with dogs um, to now, what, what do you see has changed, um, like, as a generalisation in the UK? Collies. It's bad if you're asking me that question, because that's the question I ask all the old fellas. But uh, I haven't seen much difference. I can still get the dogs I want. Um, uh, but what, it, what, it, what is happening is it's bad and it's good. Like everything, it's bad and it's good. So we have a lot of new handlers coming in from obedience and agility. And then they bring their values that they come with from there into the sport. If you call it a sport, some people don't even like calling it a sport. I call it a sport. Um, because it's a sport on Sunday, but Monday isn't a sport. But... Uh, they they bring those values in and those values didn't really they're not the values that made good border collies like and so that's bad but the good bit is that we're getting lots of new people involved in the thing and it's keeping it alive and all so that's good so you kind of can't pick up one end of the stick without picking up the other and that's just the deal you have to make but uh, all these kind of podcasts and all I think they're kind of good because they help educate people like we had one with Stuart Davidson there and he was talking about his good star dog that he won internationally and we started out being tied to a plough you know and, and I was thinking like do you want to leave that in the interview and Stuart said let it go that's what happened and uh, you know a bit of that's no harm for the new people no like and they, like let's be realistic about it you know a lot of good dogs got pulled uh, to make the breed what it is and that's that's just the way things work then I'm not condoning or anything else but that's how we have what we have like and nowadays there's a lot of those studs that are you know they're I heard of a dog the other day with cancer and it's getting chemotherapy and all that you know I don't agree with that 
and I know you boys don't either. But uh, that's because we come from a working perspective, you know. And and when you're a working perspective, you've got stock, and never mind Australia, but in Ireland, you're going to have dead lambs, you're going to have dead yos, you're going to have cows die calving, or, you know, shit's going to happen, you weren't there, you didn't, you should have been, you could have been, but you weren't, and so and then you were, and then it did still fucked up. So we're used to stuff dying all the time, and, you know, that's just part of living. But... Uh, for a lot of people, they're kind of missing that part. And then, like, you guys, the Australians there, with, like, a spider killed my dog, or a snake killed my dog, or a crocodile ate my dog, or fucking God knows what happened to him. And so, like, you're living with all that stuff. He got caught in the trap that I had set for dingo. He got poisoned with the dingo poison. You know, there's a million and one things. So, that, that, that new obedience, agility perspective, like, it's a, it'd be like a foreign language to you guys. Yeah, it's a little bit goes back to as well, or related to what you said earlier. <laughs> You know, he's trying to be mediocrity like that, you know, keeping that dog that's maybe not, you know, he's a good dog, but, but he, he's just slowing you down from getting to the great one, and, um, you know, and, and that's what you're saying about selection and culling and different things back in the day, and, um, and that obviously the obedience coming across with totally different values, they don't, they don't see that. Um, but when you're, when you're at work and doing a job and your dog lets you down or it goes pear-shaped, you really start to understand why you've got to have the right dogs because it can just be a disaster. You know, if, if, if yeah. that, dog, that dog lets you down... I, 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 I was in a simple situation. You get all that because you know what it means. You know what the consequences are. But I was in a simple situation there recently, I won't say where it was, right, maybe, where people hadn't just finished the task and they're kind of saying, oh, he needs to go for water, or he needs to do this. And I say, no, no, finish the fucking thing you're doing there, and then he can go for water. He doesn't need to go to water, he's not going to die, but he's already switched off because you've switched off. And, and so that's okay, I'd be a little bit tough on people. They're coming from a different background to us, but like, you know, you know that, that stuff, I just get a little bit mad with that. It's, um, it's funny, I find, like, you find it with the, with the horses, too. Um, people focus on, on the, the one percenters. Um, what I mean by that is things that are really achievable, like material things they can buy, so they can buy, um, you know, they can buy the joint supplement to make the dog feel better in his joints. Like it's, it, make, it would make 1% difference to, say, someone at the elite level to that dog that just needs that extra point to, is the difference between first or second. And it, that, it may make that 1% difference. Or, um, you know, it, the, the dog might get the, um, the chiropractor or the massager. It's same thing, it's 1% difference for the elite level. And they focus on those one percent because they're things they can achieve. Um, they can buy it or pay for the service or buy it for the dog, the right bed or, or, or whatever. It's really achievable and they feel like they're winning. When it's, it's like, okay, get that dog's respect, that could be 80% difference. You know what I mean? But that's harder and that's hard work to achieve that. But it can be... You know, the twenty-five percenters or the fifty percenters that don't that don't always do because it's like it's hard to do. Um, but the other uh, the let, me stop you. let me let me stop you. Let me stop you because. I think I fully agree with what you mean. 
And I can think of more examples of it, like when people start experting about health. Like, it's easy, go on a few Facebook forums there for a while and you can be an expert on health. But, uh, the best question is what's on the dollar that is. But, but the trouble with that, I, I don't like talking about it. And I know I do talk about it sometimes, but I don't like talking about it because it's not where I'm going and those people haven't got what I want. And yeah. so I try not to let my focus go there. Yeah, um, but but at the clinic, you would be clinics and things, you know, you're getting that thrown at you, I guess. Yeah, and sometimes those people say, that party guy is very cranky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it might might come down to. A... You, you've seen, you, John. Sean, you've seen a bit of cranky. I wasn't even too bad in Norway, but you've seen it, like. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> Yeah, it isn't. Um, nice. I have to go. I have to go and catch an airplane here, or you would be laughing, and I'd be the one to miss the fucking plane. <laughs> uh, so I better, I better wrap this up on my side, anyway. Ah, oh, right, no That's all right, mate. Um. Yeah, I think we're all bloody grateful. I hope the sound isn't too shitty. No, it'll be fine, mate. It'll be fine. Much appreciated. Really appreciated. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And anytime, boys, if you had some subject that you wanted. See, I'm real good at experting. Doesn't mean actually no, but I'm just real good at experting. I will say. And so. I will say for anyone out there, Paddy and Paddy Fanning and Matt Goble. They are the two to follow on on Facebook. If, if you just want some, you know, entertainment or really keep 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 the positive vibes, they're the two. <laughs> Paddy and love it. TikTok on Patreon. Ah. <laughs> and Patreon, Patreon, that's the one where you give me money. Yeah, yeah, the Patreon one. Oh, I believe that's very good. You should sign up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Patreon, yeah. Yeah, that's a go. Paddy, we... Sean's on it. He sends it to me for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paddy, have you got a... Um, we, we try and do an inspirational quote at the end of every podcast, mate. Have you, got a, have you got an inspirational quote for us? I know you're pretty strong-minded and you like that sort of stuff. Have you got an inspirational quote you'd like to share with everyone? Oh, I, I, I got lots of inspiration as well. So I wasn't ready for this one, though. Uh, but first of all, you have to be careful what you believe. You have to be careful what you listen to. And then um, we don't have some good ones. Uh, oh, geez, a real good one. I can't think of it. But uh, mm, mm, mm. but Henry Ford one is always good. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. I like that one. Uh, <laughs> most folks are happiest. Most folks are as happy as to make their minds up to be. I'm not too fond of excuses. If you catch me making an excuse, you can beat me over the head with it. Because, <laughs> uh, like, well, life's short. You don't want to be telling yourself yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Like. Yeah, Thanks so, very much, yeah, no. Paddy. Oh, I'll tell you what. Wait, wait one more, one more. Yeah. Ray Hunt's one. It sums it all up. Make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. That's all you got to do. Yeah, that, yeah. that brings truth. That's a good one. Paddy, we better let you go so you can catch your plane, mate. We'll we'll definitely get you back on at at a later date. <laughs> He's showing us his grey hair. Right on, mate, we better let you run. Oh, wait, wait, boys, wait. Thanks, Sean. Look at the horse. Yay! Yeah. I'll talk to you again soon, boys. I'll give you the Irish goodbye, right? I'm gonna give you an Irish goodbye now. Goodbye. 
Righto, so Paddy's gone. We've just got Sean left with us now. Mate, um, you, you want to just have a quick five-minute chat with us? Is that all right? Hey, yeah, mate, no worries. Probably, no, probably had it at the same, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go and grab a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. Mate, um, I mean, the reason that we sort of decided that, oh, it was just a bloody, we were all sort of thinking the same thing. Paddy pretty much asked if we'd get you on the job and, and, um, and we and Sean and uh, sorry Adam and I were both buddy like pretty much thinking the same thing. Just probably just go into maybe how much Paddy's helped you out in maybe the last sort of twelve months to two years with um, not just dogs but also your dogmanship. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Paddy has yeah been a really great mentor for me um, since I met him a couple of years ago. Um, sort of, yeah, I've, I've gotten into the, to the OSDS trialing, um, trained, trained my first dog now and got another one coming along, <clears throat> um, been to a couple of clinics with him and yeah, I sort of, I haven't, you know, I've got dogs from his breeding and they're not probably the easiest dogs, but they're pretty strong and, um, a lot of desire. So it's been good to have somebody that knows what they're doing to, to guide me, um, you know, could have could have gotten a lot. You know, worse person as a as a friend and a mentor, um, for sure. I think Paddy's got a pretty you know interesting outlook on things because he really, really like he really tries to keep as much of the dog in the dog when he's training these ISDS dogs, um, as opposed to a lot of people are very forceful and um, mechanical. So that suits you know my way of thinking as well because. You know, like with my my bush dogs, my kelpies, and that. Like, you know, I want everything that they've got in them that I've bred them for and selected them for when I'm finished training them, and and um, so that sort of goes hand in hand with with how Patty thinks. Um, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And um, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, mate. That's good. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having oh, me. Mate, you, yeah, like you've probably done the biggest effort, I reckon, mate. Because as we said, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you, you should be asleep. <laughs> oh, it's all good. I um, wouldn't have missed it for anything. Oh, so. that's awesome, mate. Yeah. Good. That's excellent. Right. Over here. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you, folks. We'll let you um, we'll let you go bed, go back to bed. Um, you haven't got any. Yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have drunk those last two liters of coffee, but. <laughs> It's just the last two litres. Last two litres. Well, go and have a pee and go to bed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll have to. (laughs) Righto, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers. Catch you, fellas. See you, mate. All good. Do you want to do an inspirational quote or do your thing? Sorry, I didn't think of that. Put me on the spot. Put these guys on the spot, (laughs) mate. Um, I always like the one, start where you are, use what you got, do what you can. Yeah. You know, yeah. So yes, just sums it up. Yeah, you know. for sure. And I'll just stick with me. I'll tried and true. Every expert was once a beginner. So, yeah. Hope you guys enjoy this um, podcast. And, yeah, we'll catch you next time on Scott Cooking and the Stream Once Connected. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Stop Dog Handlers. Three Minds Connected. 
get in touch, email us at stockdogpanelistpodcast at gmail.com.